Hello, and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and editor here at Ed Surge. The spring semester is starting up at colleges around the country. But the COVID pandemic just won't seem to go away. Last semester was historic, the first full term under the shadow of COVID-19. And nobody really knew what to expect or how well various teaching adaptations would work. Some campuses tried to keep as much classroom teaching in person as possible, with safety interventions like plexiglass barriers in front of podiums. But other campuses uh, made the call to go fully online. And this spring, there's still a similar mix, except that now professors and students have some experience under their belt with all of this. So what are some lessons from the fall semester? Are there tips and advice that can make this term go just a bit more smoothly? Today, we thought we'd try to answer those questions. And to do this, we invited some special guests who regular listeners to this podcast already have gotten to know. During the fall, we produced an eight-episode series where we followed the experiences of a group of professors and students on six campuses. These folks were essentially our embedded reporters, um, sharing their ups and downs of teaching and learning in the pandemic. We called it the Pandemic Campus Diaries series. And last week, we invited all of those profs and students to a live online forum to talk about their takeaways and answer questions from the audience. It was the first time that the folks had met each other and got to ask questions of the group, and some interesting points emerged. So today, we are bringing you highlights from that discussion. Let's jump right in. Okay, um, let me just tell people who's here. Um, We have the students, uh, Luz Elena Naya Chung, she goes by Elena, Um, Joseph Ching from Purdue University, Elena is from um, Texas State University, Adrian Davis from University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Marjorie Blen from, um, from San Francisco State University, Josh Friesen, Syracuse University, he's a freshman um, this year, so uh, Natalie Ricciardi from Chapman. So um, we have uh, everybody from, you know, we don't have any sophomores in the mix, but we have, uh, a, you know, a senior, Elena is a senior, um, Josh just starting out, this is the only kind of college he's ever known. Uh, and otherwise, a lot of juniors who know what it was like under non-COVID times and now lived through the fall. And the professors we have with us um, are Rachel Davenport from Texas State, a senior lecturer in biology, won a lot of teaching awards, done doing, doing both online and off. And I think there should be some new teaching award for dealing with the pandemic. Just everyone should get it. Um, Deb Nichols from Purdue University, a professor of human development and family studies, who is also chair of the faculty senate um, this, this particular term. Um, Sabina Brunswicker, also from Purdue, a professor of digital innovation. Pete Sands from University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, a professor of English and dean of the Honors College. And David Pena Guzman from San Francisco State, who, um, as people know from listening, actually taught um, from Paris, um, but is now back in San Francisco. And I, I don't think, I, I feel like everyone should just unmute and say something like, ah, but like there's so many people, I've never had this many people in a forum I've, I've moderated. Thanks everybody for being here. <laughs> uh, I feel like honestly, if we were in a room together, I would, I would ask everyone out there to give a round of applause to the folks here, um, up here on, on virtual stage, because 
all throughout this very difficult fall semester, they took the time to share on their audio clips that they sent. And they put up with a lot of my nagging emails. And I, I, I'm just going to clap and hope people are just applauding in their own homes. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> all right. So, you know, basically we've lived through one of these semesters, but the spring semester, we're still in the pandemic. Um, and what for, um, for the students out there, if each of you could sort of say, maybe what do you, um, wish that, uh, what is one thing about being a student in the pandemic that you want professors to know that they might not fully get even after, you know, having, having taught during the pandemic. Um, and I guess I wanted to start with Marjorie, uh, Marjorie Blinn. That's a heavy question, Jeff. <laughs> um, I, I think that to be understandable, I think one of the hardest thing I had to deal with was clarity. Like most of my teachers at SF State were very understanding, but there was one teacher where it was kind of like, here it is. And it, there, it wasn't that support. Like, like I had questions, like I, it's my first year there, my first semester, like, it's a law class. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. What are your expectations? And even though she had the syllabus, it was very vague. So during the pandemic, like having instructions and details of what your expectations are can be crucial to not overwhelm myself and overwhelm them, you know, with a bunch of emails. And I think that was one of the things. So it would be like detail what your expectations are and, um, flexibility because sometimes she would be like yeah you got you have like six hours to do this and it's like if I'm asking for an extension six hours can I have another completely day because I have children and I you know I'm not like a regular I'm a non-traditional college student so it was really hard on my mental state to kind of keep pushing for it but I think it's more like clear expectations and flexibility will be the two things that I will ask for this coming semester as we keep learning during this pandemic. Josh, um, you're a, a freshman, like I said, at Syracuse. A any advice that you would give? See, for me, I don't really know what a professor would expect normally. So, I mean, I've talked about it a lot, like, throughout the semester. For me, like, I don't know anything else. So I don't know, like, how it compares or what's different. So I genuinely don't know. I may have just been really lucky and had great professors this semester because everything was easy and smooth for me. But I just... I can't say for sure that I know. Yeah, you, you, um, Josh, you may have been the happiest customer based on your audio of of the whole group. Um, and you know, I, I, I always, you know, every one thing I learned from doing this series is there's it's just so hard to generalize. And I was so grateful that there were so many voices in the mix because, you know, it feels like one thing that you know, if somebody was complaining about some issue, you might you know, for instance, be like, well, that was actually great to have this flexibility or whatever. So, you know, just to say like, there's, it's hard to make these generalizations. Um, and for you, it must've been particularly hard not to know any other, um, any other, you know, kind of reality other than high school and, and school you had before you came to college. Um, Joseph at Purdue, you did know the drill. Um, what, what kind of uh, thoughts do you have? And I know you've thought a lot about education. Yeah. Um... So I think one of the things that I struggled with um, with the courses this semester was um, I felt like very removed from
from all my courses. Um, a lot of them had were really large sections, and I think a lot of the professors just treated the courses very similarly to how they usually treat them. Um, and I wish they might have more actively engaged the the audience, and um, because it's it's a lot harder to connect with other students in classes. So, um, you know, I, if you don't know anyone in that class, it's hard to make um, a connection, um, a study group. So I think in this time, at least professors need to play a more active role in trying to create community and um, engaging students because um, it's, it's really difficult to kind of cross that barrier um, as a student during this time. Thanks. And, and Natalie from Chapman University, um, you're uh, a, a pre-med, so you're, you talked a lot about the importance of making sure you were getting the learning you need um, this term. Do you have any, any, any thoughts to add to, to what's been said? Okay. So I think Joseph made a really good point that it just became so much more important to try and engage students during this time. And I think something equally important is that if students are being expected to be fully engaged and fully participate in the semester online, professors also need to be held accountable for that. And I had an experience where most of my professors were great. They tried to adapt and they did the best they could. But I had one professor who decided to do his classes asynchronously. And while some people might enjoy that, me as, I don't know if it's my personality or just my major, I really thrive on having that structure and having synchronous classes when they're supposed to be scheduled. And that helps me be more engaged in the class. So I think advice I would give to professors in general going into this semester where we're still experiencing the pandemic would be expect the same amount of engagement from your students as you're willing to put in. That's well said. Now, I wanted to to, to sort of ask some of the, the professors here the same style question, really. And what do you think students may not get um, about your experience that would help them understand or help them in some way? I think one thing they should know is that... That's Sabina Brunswicker, the professor of innovation at Purdue University. I, I'm speaking here on, for myself, like that we or I really care. And I tried the best I can to to work with that situation also to give a background i had like three section and we kind of blended so i was face to face at the same time we had students that were also online so i taught with face mask and i used all the different system last minute and i really tried my best to you know um to work with the con constraints but also meet you know the expectations for flexibility and i was learning in particular in the first weeks as i was going to, you know, how that works, how do I teach, do online recording, and, and, you know, I still feel like I'm a teacher and can communicate while having that face mask on, microphone, etc. in this big classroom. I was teaching very large sections. So, um, you know, that's, I guess, what I would say that they should they remember that typically as, you know, professor try to do the best, at least I did. And I learned, I guess, also now as I'm moving on in terms of working in that setting, using the different online system, and I learn and I feel like much more prepared now for the new new semester. Sure. Uh, Peter, I think you had your, you, you were pretty quick on the buzzer. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, 
uh, the voice you're hearing now is Peter Sands, the professor at University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. One thing that I think uh, students need to be aware of, uh, as well as all the rest of us, is that it just takes a lot more time to teach online. Um, and that was true before the pandemic. Uh, online education was never the panacea, um, never really cost effective or really time saving. It takes a great deal of time to put your work up web if you're teaching asynchronously and do it well, or it takes a lot of time to do it poorly as well. Um, but uh, to be in a situation now where suddenly there's a big transition to synchronous um, as well, um, it, professors are investing a whole lot of time and energy um, and just like students, we live in meat space and we have children and we have pandemic puppies and, um, and you know, other um, obligations. Um, I have a lot of colleagues who taught from their cars because they didn't have Wi-Fi in their home or they had young children. Um, and I think that there has to be that kind of graciousness and awareness that um, as strapped as um, you are, so is the person at the other end of the camera. That's well said. Thanks. Um, Deb, did you, I saw you nodding your head a little bit. Yeah, I would, I would echo everything that, um, uh, Sabine have said, uh, and that is Deb Nichols, another professor at Purdue in the surveys that we do here at Purdue, um, uh, faculty members are spending upwards of eight to 10 hours more per week teaching than they were previously. Um, and, you know, teaching is fundamentally important, but as faculty at an R1 institution, you also have a, a research program that you're running. And that, um, you know, the sort of, I think it's about 60% of the faculty who responded said that their production and the quality of their production would be lower um, over the next year or two, um, which is especially problematic for junior uh, faculty members who aren't yet tenured because it, it's if you're not putting in grants because you're spending all of your time trying to figure out how to do online teaching effectively, um, that's really going to trip you up down the road. So those are things that we're trying to deal with here at Purdue. Teaching-wise, I've taught online before in the summers, um, but this was really different because the expectation, at least at Purdue, was we were supposed to be face-to-face. -face. And so I would go face-to-face, um, -face, and I had so many students who were quarantining or isolating multiple times throughout the semester that they couldn't come to class. And so I finally switched everything to online synchronous. I guess that was after Halloween um, because I showed up face-to-face -face and no one did. I had 11 of my 47 students join me um, via Zoom. So I taught a Zoom class in a classroom on campus, and that just seemed pretty absurd. So certainly the biggest thing that has come out of all of the various surveys and focus groups and stuff we've done here at Purdue is that students want engagement and they want participation and engagement to matter. So a lot of people, um, faculty are, are planning to incorporate that without having the expectation of attendance. So it's, it's hard because you can't require people to attend if they're sick or, or in quarantine. Um, on the other hand, you know, nobody really knew how to do these expectations well. And we switched to a new learning management system over the summer. So that was super great too. So layering that all in together and having people who've never taught online 
and not familiar with the pedagogy. It was just a perfect storm of chaos. So I, I think Pete's right in saying, you know, being gracious towards your professors would be really welcomed. I, I totally understand from the student perspective how frustrating it was on your end, but know that um, our faculty members, at least here, are incredibly burnt out to the point where mental health is a huge, a significant concern for them. And so um, I think we're all sort of learning as we go along. I think the spring will be better once we get through this first, um, I don't know, month or two. Um, but yeah, being offering us some grace as well would be wonderful. You know, I'm going to um, thank you for that. And I'm going to switch back to um, a student for a second. Adrienne um, Davis, I realize, is out there. And I, I did not go to her because I didn't see her video. And I apologize. That was just, a, 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 a frankly, a mistake on my reading of the interface. Adrienne, if you are still there, whether you mute your camera or not, um, if you could unmute your audio and share any thoughts you have for, um, for advice you might give to professors from, for, for, the, for the spring. Hi. Um, I think my my best advice would be to it's it's very hard. I know it's hard for teachers too because it's an adjustment for everybody. So I think just making sure that you really do have like a true line of communication um, established with your students because me as long as with many other students we all ran into personal problems like um, I had a death in my family so all the changes was a little sometimes it was a little hard um, on me mentally but I was always very honest with my professors up front and they were just all very like understanding and very encouraging. And I really, really appreciated that this semester as it was probably one of the hardest semesters I've ever had. Um, it's my first year at a four-year school from a two-year school transfer. So um, yeah, it was just hard. And I was really nervous about how I would, how my semester would play out, but I actually did pretty well. And I really, really thank my instructors for that. So I would think that would be the best advice that I would give um, professors at other universities. Have a good line of communication, you know, establishment, and always sometimes ask to like, if anything is like going on, how are we doing like on a personal level? Cause that really will make people open up and be honest with you about things way ahead of time. Like opposed to when a test or something is due the same day, everybody pretty much had like a great line of communication. Sure. Well, thank you for that. And like I said, sorry, I skipped over you early on. I will, now I know you're out there. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Well, good. Well, um, honestly, uh, we have some audience questions. I know we haven't heard from David or Rachel. Um, any other, do either one of you want to have a quick, quick two seconds? Yeah, Rachel, go. I'll, I'll just say really quickly, I think what helped me. That's Rachel Davenport. She is a senior lecturer in biology at Texas State. I mean, I obviously agree with um, the statements about, you know, be patient with your professors because there's so much that we're learning and trying for the first time. But definitely what helped me when students also made that attempt to engage because sometimes I just felt like um, desperately um, being needy into the ether of Zoom. Like, 
do you get it? Do you get it? Do you understand? Are you as excited as I am? And it's met with crickets. And so I think what really helped me was when students did come to my office hours or did type into the chat, oh, makes sense. Oh, I get it now. When they leave their cameras on and they're nodding, um, you know, just that, that, like, that's why we teach in the first place, right? We're here because just seeing that spark in the student's eyes, like that, that engagement is what keeps us going. And honestly, I feel like the only way I got through last semester was that little bit of enthusiasm I could get from the students. Like I felt like I was running on fumes and that's what like carried me over the finish line. So I think, yeah, just that, um, you know, anything you can do as a student to encourage your professors, like, hey, keep going uh, and connect with me. And I also have to say, I really loved that some of my students would also give me uh, good constructive criticism because some of them have taken courses or were taking courses and something was really working for them. And so I really loved when they would gently say like, well, have you tried this? <laughs> no. And that's a great idea. Let me try it. So I, I think those were all the really helpful things that, that worked for me. Oh, thank you. David, uh, any, any comments? Well, one thing that I struggled with in particular was, um, you know, hearing stories from students about what the difficulties were that they were facing and then feeling like, like I couldn't help them, uh, you know, and, and so I just became almost like a repository for all this trauma from a lot of people. Um, and so students who would reach out to me about their parents being in an ICU and, you know, like, I'm sorry, trying to sympathize, empathize, or students telling me that they were struggling with severe depression because of COVID or systematic anxiety. Um, and so the impotence was something that I'm sure, that feeling of impotence, I'm sure affected my teaching. Um, and uh, it's not something that I've ever had before because the conditions have never been such that students would have all these um obstacles or at least that they would feel comfortable to to reach out to me and I'm happy that they felt comfortable to talk to me about them you know I'm very happy to to listen and to provide whatever support but that that was also I think something that on the in the front of the classroom maybe some of us struggled with just knowing the behind the scenes for a lot of people that the rest of the students had no idea were going right. on especially those more intense cases no that's 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 well put um and you know this you know, it was, it was there, I know there were things that probably people didn't feel they wanted to share with the world in this diaries podcast. And so I assume there were probably, I know, I know some of them that were told to me that were not on tape and we left them out. Um, and I, I'm sure there are many that I don't know that people were struggling with, even the students and the professors here that we had on the podcast. So because not everybody wants to share everything in the world with our podcast audience, which is fair enough. And same, so people were going through a lot and um, that's, that's well put. So I, I have an idea. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask an audience question in a second. We have some good ones coming in in the chat. Um, but the, I want to let y'all, because the first time you've ever been in a room, to, virtual room with every, with, with others in this room. So you don't all have to do it. We don't have time to all do it anyway, but in a minute, so be thinking about this while this question comes in and we answer this audience question, but I want to give a chance for people in, in the, who were in the podcast diary series to ask one of the other people, like pick someone else that you might've had a question about as you listen to the episodes. I know a lot of you told me you did listen to the season and that one people, 
one thing people told me is they liked hearing, if they were a professor, they liked hearing the student perspective. If they were a student, they liked hearing the professor perspective, which is the, the spirit of that first question. But so is there any, you know, be thinking about like if somebody, if Josh wants to ask David, what about this or whatever, anything. Um, so uh, meanwhile, there's a, 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 an audience question, which is um, from Daniel Grayson. Universities have often been reticent to shift the way they provide support to students. Um, they have no choice now with COVID. What do you see your schools getting better at because they're experimenting with new methods? I guess this is probably for the, well, maybe it's for students or professors, just that you see um, happening to support students that's getting a little better in this, in this time. And if anybody wants to visually raise their hand, I'll call on them, Rachel. Um, I have noticed that um, just the the tech part of it, our school has gotten so much better about uh, letting students check out laptops, webcams, uh, microphones, making content much more digital instead of forcing you to go buy a physical textbook. I think just like access to things that will help students be successful really ramped up and will stay ramped up even if we go back face to face. I think that's been extremely helpful. That makes sense. Okay, Deb. One of the things that um, happened since the summer and will continue going forward is that all of the um, groups on campus that are in leadership positions, so the undergraduate organization, the graduate students, the professional and managerial staff, um, other staff and faculty, we have a weekly meeting with the provost where we bring um, problems, concerns, et cetera, to him. And then uh, we sort of bring um, brainstorm around it. And that I imagine will continue because of the value that it has had in bringing problems very quickly to the attention of administration. And so this wasn't something that happened, you know, we have a very clunky Senate at Purdue that meets once a month. And in order for you to be able to present something, you have to, you know, a month earlier have put it on the agenda. It's very slow moving and ineffective. And so we just evolved these new strategies that are much more nimble and responsive to things that happen in the moment. And having that weekly meeting has been, um, a really powerful way to stay connected with what's going on all across campus. Thanks, Pete. So like Deborah, I'm at an R1, but we also have an access mission. So we are an elite doctoral institution with an access undergraduate mission. And one of the things that's changed, I think, um, is something that I've been dying to see change is faculty in particular, but also staff have come, have been forced to come to terms with the fact that um, students live in the real world um, and that they have real struggles. And those struggles were not necessarily precipitated by the pandemic. Uh, mental illness and food insecurity and um, being insecure in your home space or you know, being out on campus and not out at home and um, lots of other issues um, that have always affected student performance in class. Um, but have often been sort of brushed to the side because everybody wishes they were teaching um, in a sort of um, ideal institution. Um, culturally, the institution has been forced to grapple with that. And I think that that 
I hope that that will create long-term changes in people's pedagogies um, and the amount of compassion that they bring, not necessarily, you know, lowering standards, um, but in recognizing that people, you know, live again in meat space and live in lives with families and uh, children and pets and, and financial issues. Um, and that the ideal um, uh, just simply doesn't exist. I think, I think institutionally we uh, have been forced to grapple with that. And that is not a bad thing. It's ironic that being everyone being at their house has, has forced that awareness of their life. And you guys saw, if anyone was looking at the video, my six-year-old walked in at some point and leaned his head against me. He whispered in my ear, I'm bored. He's, he's <laughs> home doing his virtual school. And I think, I think my wife's also on a call right now. So this is like everybody is, is experiencing this and everyone can see it. Um, whatever it is that the, there's more visibility of various things in people's lives. So I want to go back to that idea of asking each other questions because I've gotten to ask you all questions all semester of fall. And I'm curious, does anyone want to go with that? Is that, did I see Natalie there? Or not? Does anyone want to have a question for either a student or, or a professor or anything in the, any, somebody else in the series? Okay. Sabina, you go. And then if someone else has I one. I have a general question for for all professors, I don't know what it picks on um, particular person is. I uh, taught um, actually one completely asynchronous section and then I taught sections that were face-to-face. -face. And I have to say a scenario that uh, Deb has described that, you know, not everybody came to class. We don't have, um, you know, attendance required. So I was actually teaching an, an online class sometimes with a small number of students in class and the rest was online. But I came because you know, we said, Purdue, we are face-to-face, -face, and I had a small group coming. But I personally think, in my experience, that I'd be a better teacher actually teaching that online, synchronous, rather than standing in the classroom, my face mask on, struggling with the fact that I can't hear their questions, they can't hear me. So I was using, for example, then actually the online system, I'll use MS Teams to do the interaction, to, to uh, they pick up their phone and ask me something because I couldn't understand them behind their face mask. So I personally think that the online synchronous would have been better, you know, from a pedagogical point of view, from a teaching experience point of view, much better. Also for myself, like having actually a conversation style, because it was very hard to communicate in those rooms. I think, and I think the trend we saw over the semester was for places that were in person to move, to have less and less, less, less and less be in person. Yeah, so, so the, for the reason like I kept, because I had a still sufficient number in there, not like the hundreds, right? So, it, you know, I had a very big class. But uh, so I, you know, I didn't go completely online because I was not just like five or six or maybe 20 or 30 coming. And sometimes in the beginning it was 40 and, you know, dropped. And, but I felt personally, you know, that it, I don't think it's really that useful to enforce face-to-face -face, um, if, I actually have the classes online and the teaching experience is actually much better. You know, they could actually read my lips and whatever if I have to announce they can't even do that. So, I you know, I think I there's a, kind of a policy this. challenge. There's a policy challenge and I would like to get other views because what are we telling the administrators, you know, so just, just share asking their question. I'm curious what the students think because um, if anybody wants to chime in, because it seems like, you know, is it there? I feel like there was, Somebody at Purdue, I interviewed um, somebody in the, the uh, not on one of the diarists, but a provost or vice provost or something that, you know, are, I think the idea was if they're going to be in person, um, 
people will, students will complain if at least there's not options for in-person. But would it have been okay if you were at a campus that was open, like Purdue or Syracuse or Texas State? I wonder if students would have been fine with like still being on campus and paying for their dorm or dining hall or whatever, but also not getting much in person for the very reason Sabina was saying about the quality can be better with these health restrictions um, when you're just online anyway. Um, I don't know if, if, if anybody wants to bite Josh or, or just jo- Josh, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll talk about how school was fully online, even though we had some classes in person. I'm not sure what that echo was. Just cutting in to say that's Josh Friesen, a freshman at Syracuse University. Because like we had classes in person, but they either met less times per week than usual or you weren't in person every class each week. So it was there was that element of in person, which was nice for some of the classes. But there was also a lot of online like in our, in our dorm. And I like my floor was all people from my major. So I probably had a different experience than a lot of people. Because we had a lot of similarities in classes, so we were able to do those together, study together, take the exams, so like stuff like that. And so we we still got like that full college experience, even if it's not what it can be without the pandemic. But we were still all able to socialize and like do all of our work together and all of that with our classes online, just because we were all together. So I feel like it's still it was still a very good experience to get to go to school and be on campus in the dorms as opposed to being at home, whether the classes were in person or not. Um, Elena. Next up is Elena Chong, a senior at Texas State. Uh, so for me, it was very difficult because all my classes were online. So uh, as just just Josh was saying, he got like that interaction with like people from his major and everything. And I feel like being by yourself at home, it was so difficult to get like the help that you needed. So like the lack of resources available because like uh, where I live, there wasn't anybody I could ask for help. And for some classes, like for example, I have like German classes and like that's way better just to do it online just because of the face masks. Uh, she was saying like, it's just so hard to understand somebody when you're teaching like a language class. But for example, for my math classes, it's so difficult to not have that one-on-one interaction or just having so like somebody that you know, because uh, it's just difficult, very, very difficult to uh, get help from somebody when, yes, you can go to the professor office hours, but uh, sometimes it's better from like a tutor or like a friend. So like in that interaction uh, was like the hardest thing for me this semester. No, that's really interesting. And so it's, these answers are, it's so complex because like you said, it might differ for different types of classes, a language class versus math class versus, and I know people had different views on whether they were willing to be in person. You know, I, I think it sounds like for you, Elena, what I heard during this, during the audio diaries is that you sort of missed the library or like shared areas um, that, that, that since you were living farther from campus since all your classes shifted online. I have one last question that I want to try to squeeze in um, before we have to all go, which is one of the things that I think is a hallmark of what, you know, when I see teaching and write about it at college level, it seems like there's the material, but it seems like one of the things that it's, if it's worked, then the professor and the student know each other. The professor knows some students well enough to write them a letter of recommendation or those students 
know a professor well enough to think that that person would write them a letter of recommendation that they they've they've gotten beyond the talking head the tick, you know the the production value video and i wonder it is if does everyone i guess by show of hands who are on video and, and uh, since we have so few little time do you do you feel like you've had that situation where there's some if you're a student a professor who knows you well enough to write you a letter of recommendation or that professors you know there are some students well enough for that I see mostly hands, but it's uh, Joseph. You, we haven't heard from you much I, I, in the last couple of minutes. Do you have any? And then Josh, I'll go to you next. Joseph, do you have any? Do you think it's? Are you able to form those kinds of relationships in this crazy pandemic time? I think it's a lot harder and takes initiative on on my part. So, because um, I know, like when I was like freshman sophomore year, um, I'd spend a lot of time like after classes like asking questions to professors. It was a lot easier for them to like put a name to, to my face. But um, now it's it's like through email communications and then you have to schedule um, a specific time with the professor because a lot of times they don't even have scheduled office hours. They're, so um, I think that's just another barrier that people have to go over. And um, if people don't really have the initiative or um aren't encouraged to do that i don't think uh, i think it's a lot harder so um i i would say i i do have like good relationships kind of prior to the pandemic but it was it was a lot harder to even maintain those throughout the pandemic or create new ones interesting and josh again with the the freshman perspective you had no, no prior relationships with these professors did you feel like you had some that you could get to know in this format well, there was one professor that I had, it was for like my gateway class. So it wasn't an actual class. It was like a seminar thing who I got to know well enough because I joined one of the clubs at my school before, before freshman year actually started. Like I joined a month after I got accepted. And so like we had a meeting with him cause he, he's like in our field and I got to know him from that. And then during our freshman orientation weekend, like, he he was in the the rooms I was in, so he got to know me more in person there, and happened to be one of my teachers. So I got to know him a lot through that. And we bonded over like soccer because we're both very into that, and so that just helped me a lot there. And he definitely, I definitely know him well enough for him to like write me a letter of recommendation if I were to need one. But for my actual like classes for the teachers that I didn't know before, as well as I feel like being online helped the teachers get to know me better I feel like it didn't help me get to know them better so I don't feel like I got close enough with them to be able to ask those teachers but I feel they all know who I am because on zoom you have your name right in front of you they're able to look see who you are call on you talk to you engage with you individually but like I'm not able to stay after class and ask questions to them stuff like that well, we are at the end of time, and I am somebody that has to try to keep the keep, keep the program rolling. And I want to just thank everybody again for doing this series. Thanks everybody today who showed up. Um, we had, uh, I think, at 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 most about a hundred people, and probably people came and went. Um, I really appreciate the um, the interest and the time. I wish we had more time. And we, I've been asked if we're going to do this series again for the spring. We are not because well, we'll certainly let you guys are, are done with this because you, you, I'm sure your patience with me is over, but we're going to just, um, we're not going to do the same thing with diaries, but we will be of course reporting on, um, 
on these things continually um, on our website and on the po- on the podcast. So please do subscribe to the Answer Podcast if you don't already. But um, it is. I'm really happy that we did this. It's it's really fun to see all your faces at the same time. Um, I understand why people. Some people had to mute video, but to hear your voices and see your faces, I really appreciate. And um, yeah, it, it's hard for me to believe the series actually did end, but nothing really is over because this crazy times continue. I hope we all keep in touch, and I hope everybody out there um, uh, will will take get a, get some takeaways from this uh, session today. But thank you, everybody, for for doing this. And thank you, Jeff, for organizing this great project. Uh, lots Jeff. of work. Lots of work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David, you know now. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. I hope to see you all again. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week, we bring you conversations and stories about how education is changing. If you like the show, please subscribe to the Ed Surge Podcast wherever you listen. And take a minute to leave a rating or review. We've been getting some new ones lately. Really appreciate that. Another big thanks to all the students and professors who participated in our Pandemic Campus Diaries series. We are working on some exciting new episodes of the show, so stay tuned for the weeks ahead. One of them I'm working on now is about teachers and instructors using TikTok. So if you have a favorite educator on that platform that you think I should mention, please shoot me a message on Twitter at JRYoung or by email jeff at edsurge.com. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young, And thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, Managing Editor of EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening.